Hey everyone, it's Jerry at the Fledge, and welcome to season two, episode 91, sort of. Uh, and today we've got Julia Miller with Punks with Lunch, and we're going to talk about recovery and harm reduction and a special anniversary that we uh, we have going on today. And how you doing today, Julia? Doing good. Yeah? Okay. So uh, tell us a little bit about you, like... Uh, where you were born, you know, born and raised or whatever. And uh, anything you want to tell us that kind of leads you to how you got involved with Punks with Lunch. Okay. Um, well, I was born and raised here on the east side in the mid 70s um, and gr grew up here on the east side. Uh, family is, you know, kind of typical family. Dad worked at GM, mom stayed at home. Mom, uh, until they split up and mom went to work uh, at MSU and went to college. Uh, and uh, raised with uh, two of my older siblings, and the other siblings uh, were raised by their biological uh, mother and, and family. Um, so we uh, grew up kind of the stereotypical 70s, 80s family, um, you know, for the most part, with uh, some weirdness going on of, uh, you know, both my parents uh, had issues with substance use um, and... Uh, unbeknownst to me, you know, well, early on, you know, I was born, you know, with a diagnosis of cerebral palsy and had surgeries uh, that I had to have and, you know, physical therapy and wore braces on my legs and had, had uh, issues, issues regarding the cerebral palsy that affects the right side of my body um, uh, and went through that uh, in a young age. Um, from there, you know, I don't, I don't know as far as like if it's something that I was born with or if it was from uh, from situations that occurred growing up that, you know, I and I didn't know at the time what it was, but um, started like having issues with depression and anxiety and mental health issues at a very young age that uh, that at the time I didn't know what it was. I didn't know. You know, I knew that something wasn't right. I just, but I didn't know how to address it. I didn't know, you know, why I felt the way I did. I just knew that I was, I was incredibly emotional and incredibly distraught. And I, I overthought everything. I was an overthinker and, and I would, um, I, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night because I, I was, you know, having anxiety and, and, and didn't know how to address it and cope with it. Um, so um, at a very young age, I would say probably eight, nine years old, even I was um, going into the medicine cabinet and taking cold meds and, and uh, you know, taking whatever it was I could take to, you know, knock myself out at night or take what I needed to take in the morning time to wake myself up and get myself through the day. So at a very young age, I, you know, like I said, I was doing what I felt like I had to do to, to make, make, make it so that I could sleep at night and function through the day. But, you know, I was essentially, you know, 
paving the way, you know, at an early age for, you know, to become, you know, a self-medicated addict, you know, using cold meds. How, you keep saying an early age, do you have, is that seven or is that 12 or is it? I can remember being like, yeah, eight, nine, 10 years old. When you, uh, when and this you were... is completely unbeknownst to my family, like they, this, I, I, up, they probably didn't know. To my knowledge, they didn't know I was doing this until now. Until today. Until today. Oh, yeah. okay. Big news. <laughs> um, with your, with your treatment for cerebral palsy, was there any meds involved with that, or was it all physical treatment? I don't recall ever taking pain meds for it. Um, I had surgeries and I had physical therapy. I wore braces on my legs. Um, I went to a couple different special needs schools um, that were specifically for people who had physical disabilities. Uh, I remember being very jealous as a kid because some of the other kids were in wheelchairs and I didn't need a wheelchair and I thought it was cool that they got to roll around and I, but I didn't, you know, um, I, I did, I had braces on my legs, but I, I, um, but I, you know, didn't require a chair. Um, and at an early age, I don't remember this specifically, but my mom told me that because because all the kids I knew that were older than me, my older siblings and, and neighborhood kids, they um, they were all able-bodied. There and and all the kids that were my age that I went to school with had a disability of some form. So I thought that that cerebral palsy was something I would grow out of mm -hmm. because I didn't see older kids who were like me. Um, so because of you know the cerebral palsy only affecting my 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 physical form and i was testing at, at you know a average or above level grade level for for kids uh, my age they mainstreamed me into into uh, school and um so i could go to school with with uh you know with other kids and see that you know that there were kids my age who who weren't disabled and that, you know, so I could kind of learn that this is, this isn't something I'm going to grow out of. It's, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. stuck with it for life. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know what the right phrases here are, but you certainly are able-bodied right now because mm -hmm. I've seen how hard you work and how much you do. And um, I didn't know anything about this until you told me recently, mm -hmm. actually, that uh, you had cerebral palsy. I never noticed mm -hmm. it. I don't know if that's good or bad or not. I, I, but. I, I guess it's good. I mean, it's weird. Like I have all the time people who who they'll see me walking and they'll notice I have a limp and they'll ask me, oh, did you hurt your foot? And I'm like, it's it's been like this since 1974. It's been like this since, <laughs> since the day I was born, you know, and like, it's you know, so like, no, I mean, yeah. yes, I do have, you know, physical pain. It does. I think it's um, progressive. It, cerebral palsy isn't a progressive you know, disability, but I think in some, in, in some ways it is because as I'm getting older, I'm noticing that, you know, I have more problems with my hips, more problems with my ankles, more problems with that because I think I overcompensated. I have like a good leg and a bad leg because I overcompensated and, and utilized my, my good leg so much that it's caused 
wear and tear and damage on that part of my body that you know wouldn't have wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had the problems with with the other leg. So, all right, yeah. Let's uh, let's go back to the journey towards punks with lunch. Mm -hmm. So, um, sneaking in the medicine cabinet and helping you sleep and all of that. Mm -hmm. What what goes on to happen? Um, I mean, beyond that, I think, you know, that already started, you know, kind of the habit of, you know, that pills could, you know, help make me feel better or help me, help me to function. Um, and from there, you know, I was still going on with, with a undiagnosed at that time, you know, anxiety, depression issues. And, and I feel like same as a lot of you know teenagers and early adult people who who are you know you know and maybe my story is is fairly normal of you know you go into teenage years and you're 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 experimenting you're testing out other substances and and drinking and smoking pot and moving on to other drugs and then i started smoking you know, drinking you know at a pretty early age i think i was you know anywhere between the ages like 12 and 14 when i started drinking and I didn't immediately, like, I wasn't, like, heavy-duty drinker at 12 years old or anything like that. But it did start at that age. And then by the time I was, you know, 16, it was a pretty much consistent, that's what you did, you know, on the weekends. That's what you did when you had the, when you had the free time and moved on from, from you know, alcohol, pot into early adulthood, you know, other substances, moving into, you know, harder drugs, you know, uh, trying, you know, doing, moving into Coke and speed and, 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 uh, that was, you know, the teenage years. Um, did, did you feel like you were different? So a lot of teenagers will experiment, mm -hmm. right. And drink on the weekends and have these high school parties did you feel like you were just part of that or did you feel like you were different from that? I mean, at that time I felt like I was just part of that, but I, but I looking back, I can tell you that, you know, what I was doing was I was self-medicating. I was, you know, I was coping. I was, you know, doing what I felt I had to do to, to make, you know, make me feel like I belong, make me feel better make me feel like I was, you know, could go out and, you know, have conversations with people and you know be around other people because I was in so incredibly shy I was so incredibly nervous I was so um I you know when I was younger I would sit up in my room and write stories and type and I didn't interact with a lot of other people because I just had you know so many so much you know anxiety and pressure of like not knowing you know, how to communicate with people, um, you know, just, you know, major anxiety. <laughs> and um, so, I mean, for the teenagers, yeah, I think, I think it was, you know, just, just part of it was just being a teen, but a lot of it was just me self-medicating. Um, I don't know how far more you want me to go well, as far as uh, into, into the as adult, far adulthood. As you want to yeah, go. Okay. Um, I mean, in the adulthood years or early adulthood years, I mean, I, I had an injury um, that 
was happened when I believe I was 19 that I was working at a grocery store and I had a bunch of rock salt bags fall on my back that I was moving and um, that caused a, a back injury um, that I went to the hospital for and went to my my uh, my general practitioner doctor too, my family doctor who you know prescribed me lots and lots of pain meds and that opened up the door to a whole new addiction of of you know prescription pills that was you know kind of like a lot of people's stories of well this is something that's safe and okay because my doctor's giving this to me yeah we uh we were at that black balloon event uh together the other mm -hmm. day and you know i think they said three out of four uh opioid addictions come start with prescribed medication mm -hmm. and that i don't know it's just they're evil. The pharmaceuticals, yeah. the doctors, they got, maybe not the doctors so much as we learned, but. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know if I want to blame my doctor because, you know, this is a, this, I, you know, he, he had been my doctor since I was a kid. And, and I think he probably felt like he was doing the right thing. And, and maybe not, I don't know, maybe he was just an old doctor who was ready to retire and just didn't, didn't care. I don't know, but he, but he, you know, gave me pretty much an open prescription to whatever pain meds I wanted for as long as I wanted, well after the pain had subsided from the injury that I had occurred. And um, from there that progressed into, you know, I was very much a, I'll try anything once type person. Mm. And, you know, it progressed from, you know, pain meds to, to, you know, more pain meds to, you know, I, I, I've done heroin. I've done, I've done Coke. I've done meth. I've done anything, anything that was put out in front of me, I would gladly do. <laughs> yeah. So now you lead a really impactful organization called Punks with Lunch Lansing. Mm -hmm. Tell us the story of that. Okay. And we'll loop back a little bit more okay. into your well, years. Um, because of the history I've had with, with my own, mental health issues, my own substance abuse issues, um, that, and with the friends I've had, the community I've had of, of having people who have substance use issues, when I discovered Punks with Lunch, or Punks with Lunch the, the main group that started out in California and saw what they were doing for people who were using drugs and providing Narcan, providing safety supplies, you know, providing education for people, um that really impacted me that there was there were people out there who were helping other people who were still in active use be safe and to get education and to get help towards you know treatment and and working through harm reduction to help other people and there you know there's plenty of groups in lansing that provide food there's plenty of organizations i was told a long time ago by a friend of mine who who at the time was homeless he said that You'll never go hungry in Lansing because there's so many organizations that provide food. You might have to go to a church and listen to a sermon to get the food, but you'll never go hungry in Lansing because there's always some form of food service in the area. But what was missing was harm reduction. And I wanted to combine the two. I want, I, and I saw that that's what Punks with Lunch was doing. So we wanted to start a chapter here because I wanted to combine the service of harm reduction 
along with the service of, of food and hygiene supplies and all the all the supplies that we distribute to people who are either unsheltered or at risk or just the general population who are in need and wanting to provide that education of of harm reduction and and keeping people safe well would you mind uh taking a pause and telling us Mm -hmm. what harm reduction means for anybody that might not have heard the phrase or they're not quite sure what it is or so harm reduction is basically meeting a person where they're at and that's an old adage basically but they um it's essentially helping people to be safe and even if the activities that they're engaging in are not activities that you that you know are generally acceptable um we accept that people are going to do the things that they're going to do no matter what other people think you know it's up to them to decide when and if they're ready mm-hmm. to make those changes in their life and it's up to them to make that call while they are still you know whether that be using using substances or what um while they're they're engaging in those activities we want them to be as safe as possible so that they don't have further harm in their life and by that means you know having the education having the tools to be able to be safe that means you know having clean needles so that people aren't sharing needles and people aren't you know helping or you know causing the spread of other illnesses or hiv or hep c or you know so that people have you know clean clean syringes so that when you are if you're an injectable drug user if you're using the syringe multiple times that can cause wear and tear on your body and can cause infections. And, you know, people can die from sepsis from reusing tools, either reusing a tool multiple time or reusing a tool that somebody else has already used, uh, you know, whether it be needles, cottons, cookers. Um, we want people to have access to clean supplies so that it's lessening the risk of infection. It's lessening the risk of HIV, Hep C, um, so that people that their bodies are are as healthy and as safe as can be, and that when and if they decide that they are ready to go into a treatment program or to stop, that their bodies are as healthy as possible, so that they they haven't lost a limb. They have. They are not struggling with having to take 8 million pills a day because they are sick with another disease. You know, that's, that's basically what it is, is, is hoping that, you know, we can keep people as healthy as possible. When, so when my daughter died and she died of a fentanyl overdose and we, we learned a lot more about harm reduction after that fact than before the fact. Mm -hmm. And what shocked me was the resistance to that because there's so many organizations that are still Nancy Reagan, say no to drugs, abstinence, all of that. What are some things that have surprised you? Have you seen that? And if so, can you tell us? 
a couple of surprising things? I've seen that. I hear all the time when people are like, well, they just shouldn't use drugs or they should just quit. And like, I think, I feel like everybody has something in their life that, that they, that they love, that they enjoy, that they don't want to quit. And that's like telling somebody, well, why don't you just, why don't you quit eating Oreos? You know, why, why don't you quit breathing? You know, you know, it's just, you know, for, for people who are, you know, chaotically using substances, that's just like eating or breathing to them. They're, they, they, they aren't ready or willing to stop. And it's and in a lot of cases, it's, it's what's helping them to to be as functional as as they currently are you know because a lot of like like we said a lot of a lot of the addictions start from an injury from from self-medication from you know just getting by and you know maintaining your own you know existence the best way you can and you know so it's really hard to just stop doing the thing that's that is in some ways the only way, only thing that's working for you to keep you, you know, feeling functional. Um, and yeah, we'd love it if, you know, if it was just that easy to just stop, but it's not. And while people are not ready to stop, you know, we want them to be, to be safe. Yeah. So what, uh, the, the the example you used of breathing, mm -hmm. I want to kind of, those are the same mechanisms in your mind that keep you alive, right? They mm -hmm. keep you breathing, they keep you eating, they keep you looking for basically the dopamines. And the dopamines, we all have them. We all feel good because of something we do or something we take. And those dopamines remind us of what we need. And addiction kind of puts its place in there and it, it, the opioids sneak into that or the cocaine or whatever it is. And it's your body telling you that you need that item. Right. And I really, we had a conversation the other day talking about rational thought and how it's a spectrum where some people on this side of the spectrum are going to say, well, that's not rational that you would use a drug because it's obviously going to hurt you. But on the other side, it's a very rational thing because we all do stuff to make us feel better. Mm -hmm. That's why we use, right? Yeah. And we all do something. We all do, you know, we, we eat our favorite foods. We, we, we do whatever hobby it is that, that we're really into. We, you know, we do drugs. You know? mm -hmm. So, uh, what are we forgetting to talk about? I think we're covering things and you're doing great. <laughs> Anxiety hasn't gone away, has it? No, it has not gone away. It's, and you it's, are doing great. It has not gone away. I don't think it'll ever go away. I just think, um, you know, I've moved on from self-medicating and realizing that, you know, you know af after years of doing that and, you know, finally going into, into treatment and therapy of like, you know, finding out more about myself and finding out about more of what, what makes me tick and what triggers me, what causes things to, you know, causes me to shut down or, or, or to, or to freak out, um, that I can 
have a better control of these things and um that slowly but surely you know i i started removing substances from my life and and it was not you know in the beginning it wasn't necessarily like you know i'm going to stop it's just be it just became a thing of like you know i'm going to stop doing this thing i'm going to stop doing this and you know those 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 substances became less important in my life as i was focusing on other things you know so once my you know at you know 19 20 years old i lost my apartment i was living in i had to move back home with mom i i lost the job that i had i you know stopped using the painkillers i stopped using the heroin i i you know went through a party phase in my 20s and early 30s even you know i was still doing coke i was still drinking i was still you know doing some you know substances but you know within the last i'm not sure how many years i'd say probably about 2009 ish you know i started removing other substances from my life and you know those take took less importance to me and so then it you know just became a thing of being a heavy drinker and i was still drinking excessively and you know i tried to hide it very well i tried to you know still be functioning and 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 you know going to work and doing everything i had to do but you know i did realize you know that it was causing more and more strain on my life that i was um having more more and more issues to um hiding it i think a lot of it had to do with with covid um that the the depression and stress and strain that that had on all of us um that I, you know it became easier and easier to you know five o'clock got earlier and earlier in the day for me you know mm-hmm. that you know the, the day drinking became easier to do um and then it would just last all night and it got to the point that I, w- I was having a hard time you know making it through work i was having a hard time making it through all my responsibilities that i had to do and i was trying to maintain this organization punks with lunch and um not meeting my responsibilities not meeting my expectations that that i had um and uh that i something had to go i i finally got to a breaking point i finally got to a point that that this is something i have to do to uh because otherwise i'm i'm gonna destroy my life and so i decided that it was time to stop drinking (laughs) so you uh brought something today and you're giving me a great honor and i don't feel like i deserve it but thank you for doing this um you have your one year anniversary today today of not drinking and there's your coin and I think you can take it out of the plastic now. I can take it out of the plastic now. <laughs> Do is, is that coin? You know, it, it's just a coin, but it's not just a coin, right? Not just a coin. What? Tell us about this. Tell us what it means to you. So this is a coin that is specific to my recovery group um, called the Sunny Bunnies. 
Um, they are an online community that was created about a year and a half ago. I believe the first first online meeting was Thanksgiving of 2020. And um, they're a group of people who are fans of the band Ween. And they're based off of what's called Yellow Balloon Groups. Yellow Balloon Groups are recovery groups that go to go to shows and go to concerts and host a table that's basically like a sober table where people who are in recovery or people who are interested in recovery options can go to that table and have a safe space where people can, you know, where you know you're going to have like-minded people who are also in recovery because you're at a show, you know, you're at most shows are at bars or at venues. There's alcohol going on. There's, you know, there's, I have no idea how many concerts and how many shows I've been to where I was just completely plastered. I know that I saw Nirvana in, you know, 1994, 1993, but I barely remember being there because I was so wasted. And I have so many shows like that that, like, I know I was there, but do I really remember being there? So, you know, for people who still want to participate in, you know, festivals and shows and concerts and want to have, a safety net of people who are there for support and recovery. That's what the yellow balloon groups are for. And the sunny bunnies are specific for the band ween. I discovered them a little, about a year and a half ago. Um, before I, before I decided to decide to stop drinking, I, a friend of mine told me that this group was being created. And I said, I want in because I was pre-contemplative at that time. I was thinking about quitting, but I wasn't quite there yet but I knew that I needed some kind of support that wasn't just your basic 12 step group. Yeah. Um, so the sunny bunnies are a radically inclusive group that accepts, you know, as long as you're a fan of ween, basically um, it doesn't matter what substance you're using. It doesn't matter where you are in your recovery. Um, you're accepted and, you know, you can use any pathway to recovery. It doesn't matter if you're using 12 Step Smart or, if, you know, the Sunny Bunny groups are the only ones you're using as a support group. You know, they are this awesome, amazing community of people that um, we meet every, you know, we, there's three meetings a week and we meet online on Zoom and, and talk about our shit for an hour each, you know, three times a week and, I, uh, you know, that, that table is so important. I often talk to people about, you know, how people lapse or relapse. Mm -hmm. And I use Roma Bakery. You ever walk in Roma Bakery and mm -hmm. you smell that bread baking? I don't know if you like oh, that yeah. smell, but mm -hmm. I love that smell. And it makes your mouth water and it, it makes you just want bread, right? And so much of addiction or substance use follows a pattern like that when you get in that familiar environment with those familiar people around you that you've used with before your mouth just starts watering mm -hmm. even if you've been sober for 20 years it can happen and um this is, sounds like a really really good idea we yeah. need more of this i wish there were more bands that did you know, it's not, it's not the band didn't do it. It's fans of the band that created it. And there are other, you know, there's the Wharf Rats for Grateful Death. There's Fellowship for Fish. There, um, uh, Widespread Panic has, has, a, has a group. But I think that this could be something that could be used for any genre of music, any band. You know, 
you know, especially touring bands where you have a, a, a large fan base of people mm -hmm. who, who probably, you know, might be, you know, chaotic drug users or drinkers or, or, you know, people who are in recovery, but still want to enjoy the, the scene and enjoy the show. And, you know, I went to a, a, a ween show two weeks ago in Detroit and I hosted the Sunny Bunny table and was there um, to pass out information. We, we gave out Narcan, we gave out fentanyl test strips, um, we gave out information about our group and when we meet. And we met a lot of people who are in recovery who were, you know, very happy to see us there. We met some people who, who were thinking about it and, you know, just, get, you know, giving them advice and support to, for, uh, you know, for recovery. Well, I want to show you a couple of things. Well, Megan first started and said that she loved you. Um, and Francis said hi, but congratulations, Julia. You are amazing. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people in the community who feel that way about um, you and mm -hmm. Punks with Lunch and everything that you do. We, we love you so much. And I usually ask someone, you know, what advice they can give people at the end. But what if we, uh, what if you read what's on that coin for us or that okay. quote? Okay. So on the one side, it's got a picture of, of Bugnish, who for Ween fans, they'll know who he is. Um, it says one year of recovery on there. And it says, if you could save yourself, you'd save us all. On the other side, it's got the Sunny Bunny Recovery logo on it. And it says, it's a quote from the art, the song, the Argus, which is a song is a ween song. Um, and it says, will the God, I grant his forgiveness and allow us, allow he that's lived a reason to see. And that's two lines of the Argus passage, which is kind of like our version of the serenity prayer. Um, the first line is that uh, it, it's about practicing compassion. So I, I talk about that a lot of uh, practicing compassion. Compassion goes a long ways. Grace, people will call it sometimes yeah. too. And understanding and loving our community, right? Exactly. So do you want to take us out with anything else? I just, I like to say all to all people that, you know, no matter where you're at in your life, no matter what you're doing, no matter how bad you think things are, no matter how bad you think you might be, you know, I tell people, you know, you know, we love you and we're here to support you no matter, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. Thank you so much, Julia. <laughs> Thanks. This is a great show. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad I could be here. Congratulations again. Thanks. We're really proud of you. We love you all. Show compassion for each other. And Claire and Liam, we love you, and we're here. Have a great day. See you all tomorrow.